0: Gracious God and Father, we pause and ask that in these moments you would would speak. Men and women from across this community have been day after day fasting and praying. We are seeking your face together in this season. And what we long for, God, is a greater Affection for you, clearer vision of your beauty and your glory. We're hungering for renewal that starts in our hearts and is informing our community and our city. We're asking God that you would move in power. And this morning, in these particular moments, what we're asking is that you would speak clearly to the hearts of your children, and that you would show what it... What it means for us to be in in relationship with you and in the world around us and with one another in a way that honors you. Would you you do that in these moments, God? We're here, we're eager, we're willing to receive. Come and move in these moments, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I think if we could hold a stethoscope to the heart of the world, you know, if you could just put it in the ears and just hold it up, and you could hear what's really happening in the world, the dum-dum, dum-dum, dum-dum. I think it's relationship. We're studying the early chapters of Genesis, and what we've been experiencing week after week, and we see even in greater clarity and coming into into relief in our, our story today is, The world is pulsing with the heartbeat of the world that God has created is relational. He has made us to find our fullness as we have proper relationship with him and his created world and with one another. And in fact, it even struck me that we so often pray, God, all I need is you. You know, we sing songs like, all I need is you. And at the risk of being sacrilegious, I, I... I think this text might even say, well, that's not entirely true. That God has actually made us to find our fullness in him and in right relationship with one another and the world around us. This text is actually gonna show us that we will come to experience him and find our fullness in him by recognizing that it's not just us and him, but it's, it's us and him. That the, the heartbeat of the world that he has created is relational and if we are going to be the sorts of people that live fully alive lives that speak of his glory and that translate to the fullness of our joy it is going to be if we if we understand what it is to tap into the heartbeat of the world the heartbeat that God has has planted in his creation and so we're going to talk about the relational foundations of of the world in which we live today. Three critical relationships that each extend a hand of invitation to us. Our relationship with God, our relationship with the created order, our relationship with each other, each that are going to invite us particularly into something. And so I want us to start at the beginning and talk about this this Genesis 2 creation narrative that is... In many ways, a zooming in from Genesis 1. If you've been reading straight through, and we've been studying this in our house churches, we've been looking at it on, on our Sunday gatherings, we've been feeling this flow as we've studied the creation of the world in Genesis 1, we saw God in his glorious rest at the start of chapter 2 last week. And then at the start of our passage this morning, there's a distinct shift. We were made aware of the shift first by this statement that is a stock phrase in the book of Genesis, these are the generations of, you you get that statement 11 times throughout the book of Genesis, each time it's introducing you to, okay, we're stepping into the next chapter of the story as it's unfolding. But that's not the only hint that things have changed. We're also going to see in our text that God's name just changed. The name Elohim was used 35 times in chapter one as God, the glorious God on high. Uh, Elohim is like the broad term for God in the same way that you could meet someone on the street today and they would say God and you'd say God and you might be talking about wildly different things. It's just a big broad term for some power above us. So Elohim has been doing work in Genesis one 35 times over. But as we turn and this new chapter is introduced to us, He now has a new name, a personal name, because he's not just operating, speaking at a cosmic level, he now has his hands in the soil, he's breathing on things, he's relational, he's connected. As we zoom in to how he was creating mankind on day six, he is now Yahweh Elohim. He is the Lord God, the one who can be known and who is present with us. And so right from the jump we realize that baked into the creation story is relationship with God. Look at it with me. Chapter 2 verses 4 through 6 say it this way. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. There's our stock phrase introducing. Okay, we're we're turning the page into a next chapter. When... No bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. Sticky pages, sorry. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. A mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. So we've, we've just zoomed in and slowed down and did you hear it there? Yahweh God is at work. Yahweh Elohim is moving. He is is now present in the story, not just standing over and above it. And then as it comes to the creation of mankind itself, it too, it, it it doesn't sound like it did in Genesis 1 because now we're seeing it up close and personal. I want you to hear the words that are used of Yahweh Elohim when he creates. He's gonna form And he's going to breathe. Forming is going to be the same word that you would see of a potter shaping clay. And then he's going to breathe directly into the nostrils of mankind. Do you hear it in verse 7? The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Relationship with God is started through intimate connection. This relationship with God that we see in this passage starts with intimate connection that He is forming and making, and then breathing on Adam, calling him into life. Interestingly, I think it's important for us to notice: we're going to, we're trying to hear the heartbeat of the world, and we consider this reality that God has made us for relationship with Him. He still calls us into relationship with Him in the same way. That. The way that men and women are not just born but are reborn, the way that we come into relationship with God looks similar to the way that he is forming and making Adam, that he is deeply involved in his story. His hands are present in the soil of his story and he's breathing on him in a way that Adam wakes up and the first thing that he sees is the face of his father creator, the air in his nostrils, he awakens his eyes and he sees the glorious face of God. I wish we had time to go around the room and share testimonies of how you've come to have intimate relationship with God for those that have. It's one of the things that stirs my heart as much as anything in the world because it's that story told over and over in different words. This moment where all of a sudden we came alive to the things and the truths of God. You remember those moments? Those moments where all of a sudden the word of God was alive to you, which incidentally in the New Testament is called the exhale of God, the scriptures, where all of a sudden it's like you've heard them before, but now they're breathing into you and you're waking up to the glory and the beauty of God. God has made mankind for intimate connection with him, we see in the creation of Adam. But that's not the only marker of his relationship with us. It's intimate connection, but then immediately as he calls Adam awake, it's lavish provision. Like overwhelming provision. This father who's staring into his child's face says, and now watch the way I'm going to provide for you. As we're called into relationship with God, we're called into an intimate connection and we're called into lavish provision. He's going to use words like the Garden of Eden. The direct translation of Eden is delight. He has in this wild and unruly world that is sprouting up from the ground as God's word is causing all to come into being, that he's going to carve out a beautiful little corner just for Adam, handcrafted for his handcrafted man, and it's called Eden, which literally means delight. It's a land of rivers and gold and bdellium. Anybody know what that is? I had to look that up this week. That's a resin that's used in perfumes. It's like a sweet aromatic present. So he's going, there's gold in the ground and it smells good and there's rivers running in every direction. Listen into this text. Listen for the heart of a father that loves to provide for his child. This is how God is initiating relationships. Look back at verses eight through 14 with me and hear the lavish provision of God. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in delight. In the east, and there he put the man that he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and it became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. This is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Do you feel like he's, he's highlighting it? The trees are pleasant. The food is good. There's gold, and it's good gold. You know, he's really making sure we, we hear this. There's bdellium and onyx stoner there. The name of the second river is the Gihon, it's the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. The third is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth is the Euphrates a well-watered land that has the aromatic presence of bdellium has gold in the ground he's going look the trees are good look my son as adam is awakening to the face of god what god is saying is i have provided everything you could possibly need and it's good this is the lavish provision of god and i think as we're considering, once again, we're, we're holding the stethoscope up to the heart of the world. This is what we do in the, in the early chapters of Genesis. We're, we're understanding what's under the surface of the world in which we've been created, and we're hearing what is pulsing under the, under the surface. And what's pulsing is this, God's delight in providing for you. Psalm 50 talks about our heart's desire to to try to manage God we start to have this religion that we we manage and he he just says stop that I don't need all of your religion and all of your stuff what I need you to do is say thank you and to walk with me I think in part this is what what Adam is waking up to in this text is God's going look around it's all so good And honestly, I think at the root of so much of our rejection of relationship with God is a lack of gratitude. I think it would be really wise for you to pause, for me to pause, and just consider for a moment all the things that you could say thank you for to God that you haven't recently. It's everywhere. think about the ways he's provided for you the relational support the family that you've had the education that you've received the blessings and the forgiveness that have come your way along the journey everything that has found its way to you it is not something that we have we have worked up or earned or done our own way the place where we were born the things that we've experienced what God is saying is you wake up to this reality I have provided it all. He is inviting Adam into relationship with him, and he does so through intimate connection and lavish provision. And I think we so frequently miss the father heart of God that's pulsing in the world around us when when gratitude starts to wane. And when gratitude wanes, we miss the the final reality of relationship with God. Because it's intimate connection, it's lavish provision, and then it's Limited prohibition. This is the context. This is the contours of relationship with God. Intimate connection, lavish provision, limited prohibition. Let me, let me read it to you. There's two trees in the garden and it's not that one is good and one is bad. They're just two trees. The tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's not one good and one bad. It's just a choice that is being provided for man. Look back with me at verses 16 and 17 where we see this reality. It says, the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Do you hear the surely and every? He's still showing his lavish provision. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. He says, okay, there's two trees and I'm just gonna provide some prohibition for you. Don't, don't eat that one. It, it may raise the question, why the tree of knowledge and good and evil at all? Why, God? Why do that? And I think this is the important reality that we need to feel as it relates to relationship with God. The invitation that is baked in to relationship with God is this. You are invited to trust You are invited to trust. He has constructed the contours of this relationship in such a way that he's saying, I want intimate connection with you. I will provide like a lavish and a good father. And then what I'm going to invite you to do is to trust me in this area. Trust me. The tree of the knowledge and good and evil created the space for relational depth and intimacy between God's creation and himself. He is creating the contours of a relationship that allows Adam to step into a place of saying, Yes, God, I do trust you. And as Adam would trust God, what it would do is bring glory to God and deepen their relational connection. There is a wisdom differential between parents and their children that is always present. Parents know things their kids don't. And they're calling them to trust by, Hey, don't go there, don't stick your finger in the light socket. Don't play in the street. You know, don't jump off of that. I could keep going. I've got a lot of those from my parenting experience. And a child in that moment has to ask the question, do I trust the voice of the one speaking? And where trust is placed in the voice and the person and the one speaking, it deepens the relational connection. And so when God looks at you and says, look, I've lavishly provided, and in the realm of your sexuality, sex is for the contours of the covenant of marriage. Or when it comes to your finances, I've created you for simplicity and generosity, posturing yourself for the good of those around you. It's not all about you. When all of a sudden, God has created a wild, lavish world, but then all of a sudden we feel like, but, but he's holding out on me. I want that, whatever that is. It's that very space where the contours and the dynamics for deepening relational connection are present You can trust the wisdom differential of the lavish provision of the father and go, God, I'm choosing to trust you and I'm not gonna walk across that line in this space. You see, what God has baked into the world is relational connection with him. Intimate connection, lavish provision, limited prohibition so that you could be invited into a trusting, deepening relationship with him. Doom, dump. Right, like that's, that's what's pulsing under the system at every moment. When you're invited to obey, each time it's God's going, trust me. Trust me, come with me. Deny yourself. Trust me. You see, we're created for relational connection with the Father. It's an invitation to trust. But it's not just that in this text. We're created for a, a meaningful relational connection with the world around us which is an invitation to work. It's an invitation to work. I think if we're not careful, we can assume that paradise is laziness. This is, a, this is a new thought in the last hundred years or so that in a world of increasing wealth and comfort and ease, that there are more people living with greater wealth in the world today than ever before. And as a result, we, we've begun to relate the good life with maximizing comfort and ease and minimizing responsibility. And so paradise is us with our feet up, like lazily eating grapes and being tended to and all of my needs are met. God's design for paradise, pre-fall, pre-sin, Adam experiencing all that God has designed for him is work. I want to show this to you in the text that he's, he's invited him to rightly interact with the world and he's calling him to joyfully embrace divinely ordained responsibility. Not laziness and hitting eject on things, but divinely embracing God-given responsibility. That's God's design for paradise. Did you hear it in verse 15? It says this, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. To work it and to keep it. We're still at, we're in this zoomed in narrative. And God is expressing what we got at the end of chapter one about we are created to exercise dominion. To bring order. And now he's telling us a little bit about that, what that looks like. He says you're called to work and keep this land. This in part means that we of all people should care about the earth that God has created stewarding resources well, intending to the world that God has entrusted to us, that God is saying, you are my caretakers for this world. This in part is what it means to work and to keep. It's also interesting to note that the words work and keep, two very specific w- verbs that get used throughout the rest of Moses' books, but do you know where they're used? They're used of the priest's work in Leviticus and all the way throughout the rest of Moses' writing. These two verbs are the activity that are entrusted to the priests. They are to work and to keep God's temple complex. This would not have been lost on the original readers as they're reading straight through. Adam is called to care for his area in a priestly manner. I've been able, fortunate to form a relationship with um, with the bishop of the Anglican Church in our area. He's a really fun, uh, interesting guy. And we've gotten to spend quite a bit of time together over the last several years. My first lunch with him, I met him at his office and jumped in his car with him. And he was wearing his collar and a purple shirt and a big gold cross and a really big gold ring. Uh, There's part of me was like, am I supposed to kiss the ring? What, what do I do here? You know, I'm, I'm getting used to this bishop thing. It was all Bishop Bling, you know, he was ready to go. And we we went to Fuddruckers, uh, which is great. Uh, his choice, and I was like, I'm in. And so we went and we ordered our, our hamburgers and we were walking through Fudruckers. And Bishop, who's become like a pastor to me, a friend to me, who cares for me, it was this moment of revelation for me as he's walking through, collar, gold cross, gold ring, walking through... He stopped, and there was a family eating hamburgers and french fries. A couple little kids. And he stopped, and he, he put his hands on the kids' heads. He did not know these people. I was waiting, like, is there some connection here? No, no connection. And he's just blessing these kids. And the mom and dad were like... And I was looking at this thing, I was like, man... If I tried this at Fuddruckers, <laughs> this would not go well. You know, uh, there's something about his regalia that he just shows up. And, and this, was, this is what dawned on me after that lunch. He steps into every place assuming I am the priest of this place. Like I'm the priest of Fuddruckers right now. I am, I have been sent here to bring God's blessings and care into this place, which at first made me really uncomfortable. And then afterwards I was like, I got to get me one of those gold crosses (laughs) because this is the reality that there's, there's something, hmm. I think what the text is saying is that you and I ought to be thinking that way. Maybe not that we just touch babies without being invited, but that you are a doctor priest, or an accountant priest, or a student priest. What this text is saying is that the right relationship with the created order around you is that you walk into every space assuming I have been marked out by God to bring His blessings and His provision and His care here, into Fuddruckers, into my office, into my apartment complex. The right relationship that we would have to the created order is priestly care everywhere we go. We are called to work it and to keep it. Priestly verbs entrusted to us as God's little representatives in the world. How would your work change if you just... If you just imagine that under your scrubs or your, your outfit, whatever it is that you're wearing, that underneath it was, was a secret little collar and a golden cross and they didn't know it, but you did. I'm the priest here. I'm the caretaker. This is what it means to hear the doom, dum doom, doom. This is what you've been made for. To be an intimate connection with God, trusting him. To be in priestly relationship with the world around you, working and keeping it, protecting and providing for it, and then lastly we 're called into relationship with one another. Now, in this text, we have the creation of the first marriage, Adam and Eve together, but for our purposes, I want to just zoom out a half step and, and I want to set it in the context of meaningful relational connection that Marriage, can we all agree, is the meaningful relational connection that God has created for us to experience, but it's not the only. And I just want to make four comments about meaningful relational connection with one another that that emerges from this text that's true of marriage, but it's also true of community and friendship. And I want us to see how this text speaks holistically to the way that we have been made for, for relationship with one another. It's an invitation to love. It's an invitation to love. The first reality that emerges is this, is that we need meaningful relational connection. Verse 18, like like nails on a chalkboard, we get the first malediction. Verse 18 says this, malediction means bad word, right? The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Once again, Adam is eating fruit with God in paradise in a sinless existence. And God looks at it and he goes, no good. No good. Adam, you don't even know yet that it's no good, but I do. You need relational connection. For you to experience the fullness of the human experience, to image God in all the ways that he's designed for you, it's not that you need to be married, it's that you need to be meaningfully, relationally connected, experiencing all that God has designed for us in relationship with one another. We need it. The second note about meaningful relational connection is this. We are prepared for it by partnering with God. The way that we're prepared for it is by partnering with God. It's not by, by just seeking it and trying to create it by our own might but it's by linking arms and and doing God's work with him look at verse 19 and 20 with me it says this now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called every living creature that was its name the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him Adam is being prepared for deep relational connection by locking arms with God and doing God's work with him. Amazingly, God allows Adam to name the animals. This is exercising authority. This is participating in creative work. If, I will just say this, if you are longing to be married, I would invite you that the preparedness for stepping into that sort of meaningful relational connection comes from linking arms with God and doing his work with him, bringing order out of chaos, being creatively engaged in his work in the world, making that your aim. Third, we find meaningful relational connection by resting in God, God, not striving endlessly, Verses 21 through 23 say this, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. God provided the meaningful relational connection for Adam while he was asleep. God put him to rest in his own arms. God's doing surgery on Adam, but in essence, he's saying, I need you to trust me enough to do this work with me and then go to sleep. And I think sometimes meaningful relational connection is lacking because we're, we're trying to accomplish it by our own might. We're putting all of our energy to it and we're focusing on it. When what he's saying is, would you partner with me in the world and then go to sleep to this desire? And I will work in the midst of that equation. That this is where meaningful connection begins to emerge. And lastly, we enjoy this connection by embracing real relational vulnerability. The risk of being known comes at the conclusion of this passage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This certainly is talking about the sexual connection within the contours of marriage. But I don't think that's all it's talking about because it's possible to, to be physically unclothed but not to be embracing the risk baked into this text. This is about being known all the way to the core and not being ashamed of really risking genuine connection through vulnerability By saying, here's all of my weakness and all of my brokenness. And as you express that as well, together we can enjoy what God has provided for us in relational connection. We are invited to love, to risk in that way. There's so much more to be said. I was telling Tim at the beginning, I was like, you need to pray for me because there's like three or four sermons here. I need to leave some of that on the editing room floor and just, just say this to make sense of of where we are. That as we hear the heartbeat of the world, it's beautiful and it's also heartbreaking. Because what we hear is this, you have been invited to trust God. You have imbi- you've been invited to embrace responsibility and do priestly work. And you've been invited to love in a way that is risky the people around you. And the truth is, we as a people have disregarded each of those calls time and time and time again. The world is fundamentally relational and the the relationships have been ruptured. We have told God time and again, thank you very much, but I think I know better. And he has called us to care for the world in a priestly way and we have not tended to his world in that way. We have not tended to others or the created order in a way that has, has caused flourishing and health. It's actually caused brokenness and decay. And ultimately, where we were invited to, to risk and to be vulnerable, we protect ourselves, we preserve ourselves, and we choose ourselves over others. And as a result, the world is shattered relationally on every level. Friends, our hope is always in the same place. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That this gospel, this good news, says to us something better. It reminds us that Jesus accomplished all for righteousness sake where we couldn't, and he paid the price for our brokenness so that we could taste his resurrection with him. The way the gospel applies to this text, I want you to hear it clearly. He trusted the Father, even where there was a wisdom differential. Do you remember it in the garden? Oh, God, please, if this cup could pass from me. But your will, not mine. He is fulfilling all for righteousness' sake as he trusts the Father where there's a wisdom differential. Jesus wants something different in this moment, but he's willing to be hemmed in by the will of the Father. And then he embraces responsibility on the cross, finishing the work. When he calls out, it is finished, what he is saying is, I have done the work that was entrusted to me. I've done the priestly work. And in fulfilling the priestly work, he wasn't just the priest. He was the sacrifice, bleeding and dying. And in so doing, hear this, he was loving his people. He was redeeming a bride, the church saying I have loved you and I've rescued you I was stripped naked and I was heaped with shame it wasn't that I was unashamed I had the shame of the sin of the whole world placed on me so that by my blood I could cleanse you my bride and call you to myself and say you never have to be ashamed again You can have restored meaningful relationship with me and with one another. And as the good news of this word, like a warm breath, washes over us as it awakens us, what we see is that he has called us into a whole new world. Whereas we trust him, we can embrace responsibility and love one another by the power of his spirit. And we can begin to to hear the heartbeat of the world in the midst of our community healed and restored. We want to be the sort of church that has God's heartbeat pulsing in the midst of it as we trust him, as we embrace priestly responsibility, and as we risk to love one another in the ways he's called us to. Let me pray for us. So Holy Spirit, would you bring conviction where there needs to be conviction right now? Hey, if it's you right now where you know that God's calling you to something and you just said, thanks, but no thanks, I know better. Would you repent right now? Would you say, I'm not gonna keep doing that thing? I'm not gonna keep going there. I'm not gonna keep having that relationship with that person. Would you lay it down with your eyes on him knowing that he loves you where your work has been done in a selfish, greedy way, where it has not been done in a priestly, interruptible way tending for others, would you repent and ask God to help you in that area? Where you're called to love in new and deep ways, would you lay down your selfish ways and embrace it? And to everyone in this room as we prepare our hearts to come to this table, would you receive the good news of the grace of Jesus that though you have failed, he has loved and pursued you. There is healing and wholeness available in him. Run to him this morning. Jesus, you are our king and our hope. It's in your name we pray.